Awesome. Hey, can we thank the band? And there's all tech crew around um, that are, you know, constantly every service coming out to serve. And, and um, you know, their, their heart is the God uh, and his love will be, uh, you know, spoken. Spoken not just in church, but online as well. Um, one thing I want to say too is make sure you do do those letters. Jump on board with that because for, for these people to have something tangible in their hands is something incredibly important. Trust me, I am the worst letter writer. Jack Sweetman's still waiting for his 21st birthday card. Um, my wife got into me again about that the other day. Jack's almost nearing 40 now. And um, it's coming, I promise. It's in my bag down there. Maybe you could write it and I'll give it to you. Um, but I want to say welcome to all those that are here, all our crew in the mezzanine. How are you guys going up there? Good. Yes, good. Um, they're asleep already. And all of our people that are online, we just want to say it's so good having you join us, being a part of our services. Um, there's, there's been something that um, I've been witnessing over a um, probably a period of time, and maybe it's just me, but one thing I've sensed is that there is a fresh hunger for the things of God. Um, it's something that's been stirring in my heart and I've been watching it, and not just in this church. Um, it's in the churches around our city. It's probably around our state um, and wider internationally. There's something that's, that's beginning to stir. And I'm not saying that there's always been a hunger for God, but it just feels like there's something fresh starting to, uh, starting to stir up. And I wanted sort of, I was thinking about it, I'm like, I wonder if this hunger is being fueled as we as a generation or generations begin to witness firsthand the ever-growing hurt that our world is experiencing. You know, the, the confusion, maybe the, the realisation that the things we've been putting in our, into our lives, building our lives on our identity, our, our status, are actually very fragile. And, and this has probably been heightened through our experiences of COVID as well and the isolation that's been part of that. You know, things that we've probably worked so hard to, to build in our life, things to attain in our lives because that, that we wanted to find happiness and we wanted to find security. Uh, but we realise even those things, when we attain them, still leaves us feeling empty. And as followers of Jesus... As people who have experienced the love of Jesus firsthand um, and a relationship with Him, I think this, this hunger for more of God comes because we realize that Jesus is the only answer. Is that right? Jesus is the only one that brings life, the one that brings hope. And there's no wonder that this cry is being echoed more and more. God, bring revival. God, bring hope to our nation, to our land. And my heart's been echoing that too. It's crying out, God, bring more re revival. Teach us what that looks like. But as I've been crying out for revival more and more, and God's been awakening my mind and my heart to the desperate need of God's revival in our lives and in our nation, God's been pressing this theme into my life that I want to share with you as a church. 
something for me, but I wonder if it's for us as well as a church. And it wasn't something that sort of, you know, instantaneously happened. It's been over a period of time. And this is what it was. It was, John, if you want revival, if you want to see revival, well, then you need to love. And you need to have my heart. John, you need, a, you need to love. You need to have my heart. And I want to read to you some scriptures that God has been putting on my heart over this period of time. Mark 12, 30 to 31. It says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. It says the second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. And I couldn't help but highlight this next part that says, there is no commandment greater than these two. When I read that, I couldn't help but stop and think, God is saying here, there is no commandment greater than these. And if this is the case, I better sit up, I better listen, I better take a closer look at it. 1 Corinthians 13 came on my radar as well. It says this, and I refer it to myself, Jono, if, if you speak in tongues of men or of angels, but you do not love, Jono, you're only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And Jono, if you have the gift of prophecy and you can fathom all mysteries and you have all knowledge, And if you have the faith to move mountains, but you do not love, you are nothing. John, if you possess um, or give all your possessions to the poor and you give over your body to hardship that I may boast, but you do not love, I gain nothing. As I read this, it was pretty sobering for me. In the Old Testament, Hosea 6.6 said this. This is another one that came. It says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want your burnt offerings. Now, Matthew Henry in his commentary says, this was written to the Israelites. And, And he goes on to say, their love for God is like the morning cloud or the morning dew. Early in the morning, the dew looked like sparkling jewels, but as the sun came up, it was gone. And this is what Hosea is talking about. Israel, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than the burnt offerings you're bringing. I'm sure there's many scriptures that are starting to come to mind to you. But tonight I want to press into Matthew 22, 33 to 40. And I'm going to read this through the NIV version because I want us to read this together and I want us to push deeper into this. And it starts off in verse 33. It says, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at Jesus' teaching. Jesus had just been teaching to people, telling them about his love, what his heart is about. And in verse 34, he goes on to say, it goes on to say this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together 
And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied straight to the Pharisee. And he says, I'll tell you, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Quoting straight from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6. They would have known this well. But then he goes and says, but second, the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. And verse 40 says, because all of the law and the prophets hang off these two commandments. All of them hang off these two commandments. And so we have this incredible moment where the Pharisees who knew the law, knew the the teachings backwards. You might be asking, what is this law you are talking about? God had given this law to the Israelites through Moses. It was God's requirements of living, his, his perfect standard. In a sense, it showed how amazing and how loving God is because it paints a picture of God's heart and his nature and how perfect God actually is. And this is what it's saying. It's this incredible moment. This is why there's Pharisees going in and saying, well, Jesus or teacher, you tell me, what's the, the, the biggest commandment? What's the main commandment? Jesus tells them. And they're like, oh. And I could imagine these authorities because, you know what I mean, they would have seen this, this authority they had being people that were educated had great literacy. This wasn't common in the day. Not many people had this opportunity. And so I could imagine the majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law using this as a bit of a status for them. You know, the, the more I know, the greater my practices, the more God loves me, or the greater I am compared to you. This status kind of thing. You know what I mean? I'm sure they added some of their own rules into it as well. And so here's Jesus. He answers their question correctly by reciting Deuteronomy 6 in the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Jesus reaffirms that this is a very important call on our lives. John Piper highlights this as well. If you don't know John Piper, he's an author and a speaker and he says this, this is the greatest and foremost thing that is in the entire word of God. The greatest and most important thing you can do is love God. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. But this is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't just answer their question, but he gives them something more that they didn't ask for. You know what I mean? It's like he could see through. And he says this, hey, I've got something else for you though. I'm gonna give you something a bit extra. In other words, if you were gonna hold everyone accountable to the law as though you were perfect, well then let me remind you because you have totally missed the purpose of the law and the prophet's teachings. 
He used this law to hold everyone else accountable, hanging your pride on it, oppressing people through it. Well, let me remind you of the second command, which is like the first. Not the first, but it's like the first. And this is what Jesus says to them. Hey, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and prophets that you have been, you know so much about and you've devoted your life to hang off these two commandments. In other words, to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbour as yourself is the primary. And so often, so often in my life, I can get it the other way around. I can hang the, the fact of loving Jesus, loving God with all my heart and loving my neighbour hangs off the law. In other words, okay, the law says it, I better do it. But this is not the case. This is what not, Jesus, Jesus isn't getting it that way. He's, it's, love is not a byproduct of the law. Instead, the law and the prophets, the teachings of the prophets was as a result of love. Pointing people to love. Pointing people to who? Jesus. This is why in 1 John 4, 16, it says, God is what? God is love. See, the law was given by God. And the words spoken from the prophets find their true meaning when we realise they were there to guide us firstly to what? How to love God. And then to secondly, how to love others because this is God's heart. Because God loves all of humanity. And I love this. I love this. This is what Jesus did. He answered the first greatest command. But then he speaks straight to that Pharisee and he says, hey, love your neighbour as yourself. Now, I want to stop and pause for a second because, you know, when we hear God is love, we're not talking about love as an emotion, an experience. Neither is love just what you want love to be nor what you expect or think love should look like in your own life. This is not what it's talking about when, when the Bible says God is love. It's saying that God, it is, it, love is his very nature. It is who he is. And if you want to know love in its purest form, we need to look to God and his perfection. This is why the first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, is said. We can see this in Matthew 9.13. This gives us a glimpse of God's heart. He says this, um, referring, this is actually Matthew referring to Hosea 6 that we just read before. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call not those who are righteous, who think they've got their lives together, but those who are sinners. God has come for the, uh, for the lost, for the broken, for those who have turned their lives away from Jesus, those who have hated on God, the brokenhearted, all of humanity. And when I hear this, when I hear that Jesus had said to this Pharisee, hey, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. But remember, the second 
is this, love your neighbour as yourself because all of the law finds itself in these two things. If this is what God is saying, what is Jesus talking about when he says, love your neighbour as yourself? Because this is pretty critical for us, for me and for us as a church. I, I think two things are unfolding here. What, reasons why, two reasons why I think Jesus uh, spoke this and gave that second law. The first is this. If we do not love our neighbour, then we have missed the heart of God. If we do not love our neighbour, we've missed the heart of God. Which is big. And the second one is this, that Jesus wanted to highlight to the Pharisee, hey, you might know all the laws and rules and you might think it's your job to police people with it, but I want to say to you that you are no different to anyone else because have you loved your neighbour as you love yourself? Let me try to explain this. It's pretty safe to say we... Um, we have this inbuilt desire to love, particularly ourselves, all right? Um, to have this desire for self-fulfillment, longevity, um, to search to being happy. It wasn't something we were taught. It was something that we just inherited. Like I think of, you know, Sienna, my two-year-old, she, um, she's picked this up pretty well, pretty quickly, you know? And, and I, I sort of look at this and think, you know, this is just inbuilt within us. Like even tonight, if, if you don't love who you are, there's still this desire in you to find something or experience something that makes you love yourself more. We all love to find satisfaction. We, we desire friends. We long to clothe ourselves. We want our lives to count. We want our lives to be Meaningful. We, we long to be heard, don't we? We long to be respected. We desire a place to live and food to eat. And the thing is, all of this is self-love. But these aren't bad things. This isn't the issue. Because God has given us desires as being a human. It's not wrong to have purpose in your life, is it? It's not wrong to desire friends or food to fill and fuel your body. It's not, it's not wrong to have dreams and plans. It's not wrong to desire clothes for you and your family to survive uh, these very cold Queensland winters that we experience. It's not wrong to long to do our best and succeed. So the issue isn't the fact of self-love. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, do you, do I love my neighbour with the same energy, with the same passion, with the same perseverance as I do for my own life? This is what Jesus is trying to point out to him. Do you long for your neighbour who is in need to be clothed just with the same passion you have for you and your family to be clothed? Do, do I have the same passion for that stranger to find community just as I have for my own life to find community when I'm in that moment, in that position? 
Do you have that same passion for your neighbour to succeed in their career or in those opportunities as you do for your own life? Maybe it's a colleague. Do you have the same passion to speak kindly and with compassion and grace to a person just as you desire, especially in your moments of brokenness? And I'm not for a moment saying that... um, Loving your neighbour is turning a blind eye to things or not using wisdom and discernment in situations. There's a lot of complexities in this from day to day. Nor am I saying the needs and desires you have is what your neighbour needs. But I think this is a pretty good statement. Is your self-seeking the measure of your self-giving? This is what John Piper says. He says, loving God is invisible. It's an internal passion of the soul. But it comes to expression when we love others. So loving others is the outward manifestation, the visible expression the practical demonstration and therefore the fulfilment of what the Old Testament is about. In other words, the Pharisee, and maybe it's to us, if you want a true measurement of your direction and health of your hearts before God, it is exposed in our love for our neighbours. I'm not talking about your literal neighbour, it might be that but the people God has around you, God puts in place in your life. And what Jesus is trying to get across and expose to the Pharisees who clung to the law as their position of holiness and godliness was that they had missed the purpose of why the law was in place. And also that they were no different to their neighbour. Their failure to love their neighbour as they love themselves highlighted to them the sinfulness in their lives. They might have kept all the practices. They may have known the ins and outs of the Torah. But Jesus in this statement highlights the fact of if you aren't loving your neighbour as yourself, obviously you're like everyone else. I love this quote. The root of our sinfulness is the desire for our own happiness apart from God and apart from the happiness of others in God. Another name for this root of sinfulness is pride. Pride is the presumption that we can be happy without depending on God as the source for our happiness and without caring if others find their happiness in God. It's the unwillingness to see God as the only fountain of true and lasting joy. And it's the unwillingness to see other people as designed by God to receive our joy in Him. If you take the desire to be happy and strip away from God as the fountain of your happiness and people as the recipients of your happiness, what you have left is an engine of pride. Pride is the pursuit of happiness anywhere but in God, in the God of glory and the good of other people. It's pretty opening, eye-opening. It's pretty humbling. And for us and for myself, if we're not loving our neighbours, This passage is pointing it to us as well. If we're not loving our neighbours, 
well, then it exposes in ourselves our own sinfulness. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach the, the teachers of the law. Now, Jesus isn't dismissing uh, God's law. He's not knocking it or belittling it. Actually, Jesus knew the importance of the law. He highlights it to them and says, but you've missed it. You keep thinking the law is the main point. Loving God is the main point. And if you want an outward expression of loving God, then go love your neighbour with the same passion that you love yourself. See, the law and the prophets were pushing, designed to push us to God, push us to Jesus, to realise how graceful our God is. Now tonight, if you were sitting out, as I read through some of this stuff myself, I, I almost began to feel a bit discouraged, you know, like a bit overwhelmed thinking about it. In my mind, I immediately start calculating, you know. I, I think through things and I think, if I did an exam on how well I love my neighbour but compared to how I love myself, and this is probably no surprise to you guys, but I didn't do too well. But I reckon this is the tension Jesus was aiming at. See, Jesus wasn't saying this to heap guilt and more rules to our lives. But for us to realise that even in our attempt to keep God's, our attempts to keep God's law and standards, guess what? We can't do it. I'm not saying we don't keep learning obedience and following God. That's not what I'm saying. But think of the Pharisees. They thought they were the benchmark of keeping the law. But yet God exposed them. It's not about that. Because Romans 3.23, what does it say? It says, for we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. See, this is the thing. The law would show us God's glory as we saw how far off the mark we actually are from his standards. And the beautiful thing is his name would be lifted high as we would come to him completely empty-handed. That we would come to him with nowhere else to turn and nothing else to offer. And we would receive his forgiveness so that what? Not that we'd boast in ourselves, but we would boast in Christ and Christ alone. And the Pharisees had not realised this. They had no realised that there was very reason that Jesus was there. The one the Pharisee was talking to was the one that God had sent to be the saviour of the world. Because we couldn't live to the standard. Listen to Romans 8, 3 to 4. I love this, this passage. It says this, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. The law couldn't save us. But God sent his son, Jesus, in a body like the bodies we sinners are or sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as the sacrifice for your sins and my sin. 
He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Not fully satisfied by us, but fully satisfied for us through Jesus. People who no longer follow our sinful nature, which is self-reliance, but instead we follow the spirit, which is God-reliance. Can you see it? God's calling us to God-reliance, not self-reliance. The, the laws and prophets they held on to was to point people to Jesus and not to oppress us. See, God loves us. God loves humanity. And, and sadly, not, of, not all humanity loves Jesus, though. I want us to hear this tonight. If you're feeling a bit like, I don't have what it takes, that's okay. Because Jesus knows that. Hear this, the call to love your neighbour is impossible until we have come to God and received his love and allowed his spirit to teach us how to love him first. This is why the first commandment, to love God with all your, your heart, your mind, your soul is so critical because it's this commandment to love God is what gives power to the second, to love your neighbour as yourself. So we can't love God by clinging to the law. We fail it every day. We can only love God once we have received God's forgiveness through Jesus. So coming to Jesus and asking for his forgiveness with the knowledge that we can't bring anything to the table is the ultimate illustration of you dying to self. If we're going to love our neighbours, it's a call on our life. If we're going to love our neighbours, that that's, requires a lot of dying to self. Something I learned very quickly being a parent, you quickly learn to die to self. You know what I mean? You watch more wiggle shows than you prefer you to ever have to do in your life. You die to self, you watch it, and then you end up singing and dancing it. But it's only through Jesus. To die to self, realising that, guess what? You can't save yourself, only God can. I love what Dr. Michael Green says. He makes a really great point. He says, nobody ever loved God with all his being. Nobody has ever loved his neighbour as himself. So nobody could possibly merit eternal life. Once again, it brings us back to grace. If we have any place in the kingdom of God, it will be due to the unmerited grace of God for sinners who could never make it by themselves. Romans 8, I love it. It says this. This is our hope. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation. Sometimes we can say, oh, just put a little bit in there just to make us feel a bit better. But it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ Jesus. You're feeling condemned tonight. You're feeling like because of your actions, you're feeling unfit for use. Well, I can tell you, you can put a big cross through that lie tonight if you're in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is what it all boils down to. 
And this is what Jesus was trying to get at. He's saying it all boils down to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that you can only be saved by grace and not through your efforts. See, this is where the power is found. Because the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us and it's the Spirit's power that what? The Spirit awakens us. The Spirit is the one who empowers us. The Spirit is the one who reminds us of how great God's love for us really is. And if we're going to do that call to love our neighbours as Christ has called us, we want to be an outward expression of our love for God. This is what John Piper says in another statement. He says, something unbelievably powerful and earth-shaking and reconstructing and overturning and um, upending will have to happen in our souls. Something supernatural, something well beyond what self-persevering self-enhancing, self-exalting, self-esteeming, self-advancing human beings like John Piper can do on their own. He goes on to say, love God with all your heart means this, finding God a satisfaction so profound that it fills up all of your heart. Love God with all your soul means finding God a meaning so rich and so deep, it fills up all the aching corners of your soul. Love God with all your heart means find in God the riches of knowledge and insight and wisdom that guides and satisfies all of the human mind was meant to be. In other words, take all your self-love, all your longing for joy and hope and love and security and fulfilment and significance, take all of that, bundle it up and Focus it on God until He satisfies your heart and your soul and your mind. And it's once we experience this personally, we experience and receive the love of God, we realise that we are saved by grace. Well, then can I tell you that you begin to overflow into every other aspect of your life. And as we grow in our love for God, the power of the Holy Spirit begins to move and our minds, our hearts are renewed and we begin to produce fruit that enables us to love. And I tell you, I need the power of the Holy Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is not fruit of the man, it's fruit of the Spirit. This is what Galatians 5, 22 to 23 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, not us, it's the Holy Spirit that does it. It's a surrendering back to God, a surrendering to the Spirit's power and not your self-reliance. It says this, the Spirit produces this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control because there is no law against this. We can't love our neighbour without first being loved by God and loving our God. I'm gonna get the band to come up. If we do not understand the first and most important command, which is to love God with all our hearts, minds and soul and to realise that we can be in relationship with God because of what he has done on the cross and through the power of the resurrection, well, I tell you what, all the rest of our, our efforts of, of love is just self-attempts. And 
for me, I, I look at this and I think in my own life is, God, I just want you to awaken my soul. Awaken my soul to what everything hangs off and that's to love you and it's to love my neighbour with the same passion that I love myself. And the reality is I can't do that by myself. And guess what? You don't need to either. But what it comes down to is, are we willing to surrender our lives afresh to Jesus? Say, Jesus, I can't do it. I heard your word. There's, you know, I'm full of sin. But God, you're the one that sets us free. You know, I think of that Hosea 6. Love my neighbour, not offer sacrifices. And know and love God more than He wants burnt offerings. And so maybe around this room tonight, I don't know what this means for you. I don't know where you place yourself in that picture. Because obviously there's a call right across our lives. If we want to see God move powerfully, if we long for revival, well, for me, God kept pointing back to me is loving your neighbour is going to be a very critical part of it. Because it's not just taking love, it's taking the love of God, the hands of feet to people. It is an outward expression of our love for God is how we love our neighbours. And so there's a few things tonight. Maybe tonight you might have found yourself feeling a bit more like the Pharisee. You've spent your life clinging to the law as your way of expressing your love for God. But in doing that, you're no longer drawing your love from God. It's moved from a place of loving, of your response of God's love to a place of earning God's love. Maybe your love for your neighbour has dried up because you've been so busy trying to get self right. And Jesus wants to release us of that tonight. The love of your neighbour is receiving from a place of obligation and not from an outflow of God's love you're receiving in your life. And if that is you tonight, I want to encourage you right now to, to respond to God in your hearts. Maybe even for you, you want to make that an outward thing. And just put your hand up and say, that's me. And in a few moments, I'm going to pray and ask, and if that's you, you can put your hand up or you can just do that in your heart. It's between you and God, not me. God has beat your grace, not about me. Maybe for you tonight, you've never heard that there's a God who loves you. Or maybe you've been so caught up in self-reliance that you've never come to a place of self-surrenderance and ask for God's forgiveness. Ask God and say, you can have it all. It's messy, but you can have it all. I need your Holy Spirit to come and do a work. If that is you tonight, I'm gonna invite you during this next song just to come up the front. There's no power in coming up the front, but I want you to come up one of the front and meet one of the pastors and they wanna pray for you. And maybe for you, it's Holy Spirit, let me love my neighbour with the same passion I have for myself. Open my eyes, Holy Spirit. Open my heart. 
Holy Spirit. And so let me pray as we lead into this song of worship. God, come by your Holy Spirit for those, Lord God, have been clinging to the law, Lord, for their their feeling of comfort, of salvation. Lord, I pray you release them to know that they can come and receive grace. Your grace is sufficient for us, your word says. I wanna pray for those, Lord, those who are giving their life to you for the first time. Well, Jesus, I ask as they ask you now, Jesus, forgive me, be the Lord of my life. I give my life to you. I just pray they'll know a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit and then us as a church. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll open and soften our hearts to love our neighbours as you love us. And God, as we do this, Lord, may we see a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand. We're just gonna respond. I want you to be encouraged to come forward if you want prayer, if you wanna talk to someone. Maybe it's just something you wanna sit in your seat tonight and just do some business with Jesus. Well, I encourage you to do that as the band sings. So let's sing together. There's a sound I love to hear It's the sound of the Saviour's robe As He walks into the room Where people pray Where we hear praises He hears faith
Thank you. 